Hello and welcome to the Impact Podcast from us at Impact Wales. We're Finn and Jane and every week we'll be bringing you lots of discussion, comments and opinion on everything research and education. We'll be talking professional learning, what's happening in the education world and everything in between to help you make a difference in your school. Today we're talking to one of the world's leading experts on controlling the conscious mind. Sounds very exciting. Um, and he's an award-winning professor at the University of Michigan and he's author of the best-selling book, Chatter. Ethan Cross. Hello, Ethan. Welcome to the Impact Podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Looking forward to chatting with you about the inner voice. And you've come to us all the way from Michigan in the US. Well, I I wish I was there with you in person. I'm a big fan of, of your your country, um, but uh, thanks to technology, yeah, I'm I'm in the confines of my my own home office, and um, life is good here in Ann Arbor in the summer. It's not too cold. Oh, there you are. That's good. And, and I think it's so much of a coincidence that we're going to have a chat around your book, Chatter, your fantastic book, Chatter. Um, and I think so, something that that we're really interested in is how we can support teachers and supporting them with using it with their pupils in in class with the developing resilience yeah and how we um really then this afternoon can have a chat about some of the ideas you've got within your book as well so bearing that in mind can you can we ask you first why did you um title your book chatter what was it about the term chatter that you felt was really appropriate for what you talk about in your book well psychologists love coming up with different different terms to refer to the same basic phenomenon. And so what chatter is all about is getting stuck in a negative thought loop. You're experiencing some kind of problem. Maybe it's something that's happened in the past. Maybe it's an argument that's presently occupying your attention. Maybe it's something you're worried about in the future. We focus our attention on that issue and we try to come up with a solution, but we start spinning and said, oh my God, what am I going to do? Why did I do this? And we don't make any progress. It's like being one of those um, hamsters on an exercise, yeah. we are running, 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 not getting anywhere and making yourself and others miserable in the, in the process to use that technical term. We call that sometimes rumination, worry, perseverative cognition. Chatter is, is a phrase that I think really captures that mental noise, so to speak, that all of this reduces to. It's that incessant gnawing away at an issue that is is irritating, is grating, and um, doesn't serve us well. And so, um, so that's how I came across chatter. And um, I, yeah, I, and, I, and it is a really good description for, as you say, that inner voice um, having a conversation with itself almost. And it seems, to a certain extent, there's it, inconsequential. There's nothing of substance in there. It's just that that irritation going on all, all the time. So. We've got this inner voice, this chatter that goes on, but you talk about in your book um, one really just statistic that really blew our minds about the speed at which that inner voice it talks and is understood. Just tell us a little bit about that. What, what is that statistic? Well, the statistic um, comes from a study which tried to put, uh, to try to clock how quickly we are capable of talking to ourselves. One of the things, before I tell you what the statistic is, one of the things that's important to keep in mind is when we are talking to ourselves silently, which is what the inner voice is all about, we don't have to follow the same rules of grammar and syntax mm. that we do when we talk out loud. So when I talk out loud, I talk in full sentences. 
Um, I need to do that so you can understand me. When we talk to ourselves, we often talk in sound bites. Crap. Oh no. What then? Right. But we fully grasp the meaning of those sound bites. And what that allows us to do is talk much, much more quickly. We also don't we have to do things that we often take for granted when talking out loud, like moving the muscles around our mouth, lifting our diaphragm to let air into our lungs. All of these intensive physical operations allow us to speak. We don't have to do any of that um, when we speak silently. And as a result, we can talk much, much more quickly. One study um, put this at a rate of it, it, it suggested that we can talk to ourselves at a rate that is equivalent to, I, I think it's been a while since I looked at the statistic. You may have a top of mind speaking 4,000 words per minute out loud. Does that sound right? To I, you? Do you know, I think it was 6,000 words. 6,000. Okay. Um, 6,000. There you go. A huge number. And, yeah. and, and one thing to also keep in mind around that number is that's an estimate of a rate at which we are capable of speaking to ourselves. So it's equivalent to talking out loud that fast, right? So if I say, oh no, and I know that refers to, oh no, my daughter may come home and be mm -hmm. sick with COVID, right? I only have to get that meaning with two words rather than stringing it out. Yeah. So that helps explain that upper limit. Um, we can also, of course, speak to ourselves at varying rates. We can sometimes have the experience of actually having a back and forth conversation with yeah. ourselves too. The inner voice is very flexible. It, it morphs and takes different shapes. Yeah. And I think that that particular statistic was mind blowing because if you think about if you're in a, a, a position where your inner voice is not doing you any good, that that has the potential to not do that good at a rate of 6,000 words per minute, that is quite mm -hmm. scary. When we're thinking about this happening for children, and children, you know, berating themselves potentially or talking themselves into a, a tizzy or, you know, um, being fearful about something, doing that at a rate of 6,000 words per minute, that's, that shows the power of the inner voice and, and what it can do. Is, is, yeah. there a, is there a difference as well between the speed that children would use their inner voice and how it was exactly it's the same? Great, great question. Well, first thing I would say, I think it's important to emphasize that we're talking about a rate equivalent mm, to, yeah. to speaking 6,000, because no one is no one is arguing in this, and the study that those statistics are drawn from, it doesn't, it doesn't show that people are speaking literally at 6,000 words. No. It's equivalent. It's like the, oh no, is equivalent. But it's the amount to, of oh, information, no. isn't it? Exactly, it's capturing that information, right? And so, and I think it's important to clarify that because it makes it more, for me, when I first read that paper and came across that statistic, I tried to know how is this possible? Yeah. That helps make it possible yeah. in my mind. Yeah. Um, with respect to the question of does this happen at the same rate to kids? We don't know. There's, there's remarkably little work looking at the rate of inner speech. Um, you know, this was one study that was done and I indicated as such to, to yeah. convey that we need more work there. But what we do know is that... Um, when the inner voice runs amok and turns into chatter, it can have really negative effects, not only for adults, but also for children. Um, it can undermine people, and by people I mean children and adults, ability to think and perform by consuming our attention, by leading us to choke under pressure. It can create frictions in our relationships with other people, and it can even damage our physical health. So it really can be quite problematic. Um, that's why I think 
chatter, the dark side of the inner voice is, is I, I genuinely think it is one of the big problems we face as a species. And I don't say that to, you know, exaggerate. I say that based on what I know of the negative consequences, which are severe. One other thing I do want to point out, though, just in, in terms of like laying this terrain for everyone who's listening is we're harping on the, the bad side, more or less, of the inner voice. But there is a really good side to our inner voice. And it's the reason I titled, I subtitled the book, How to Harness Your Inner Voice, Not How to Silence It. When I use the term inner voice, what I'm talking about is our ability to silently use language to reflect on our lives. Language is a tool and our capacity to wield that tool silently is a remarkable gift of evolution. It lets us do basic things like um, memorize a phone number. Most kids don't do that anymore, but maybe the teachers <laughs> who are listening do, right? Like you can remember, I, I remember I used to memorize a phone number, right? Yeah. When you're repeating a number in your head, 209-0501, that's you activating your inner voice. When you go to the grocery store and you remind yourself, hey, what's on my list? And you go down the list, cheese, milk. Yeah, yeah. Chocolate, um, that's your inner voice. We use our inner voice when we're preparing ourselves for things, dates, interviews, speeches. We often go over yeah, what we're yeah. going to say. Well, it's oral rehearsal, isn't it? And I was just thinking when you were talking about that, it's multiplication tables. You know, that is exactly Absolutely. the same as uh, remembering a, a phone number. But one of the stories that you had in your book that actually really struck home with me personally, and I, I thought was thinking about it when you were talking about um, the... Um, the purpose of the inner voice and this kind of oral rehearsal, but also the, the remembering things, but talking to yourself in order to kind of manage your world. You talk about children or there was a study that had children with imaginary friends and how um, if you have an imaginary friend and you're having that kind of discussion with an imaginary friend, it allows you to make sense of what's going on for you in your life. And my son actually had two, two imaginary friends, not just the one, the two. And they were Uncle Albert, who was quite benign and, you know, would would be a good person and would take him on trips and all that kind of thing. And then he also had Uncle Chopper, who was actually the kind of the bad side of things. And, you know, when things went wrong, oh, it's Uncle Chopper's fault and all, all this kind of business. But I'm thinking from the viewpoint of children um, having um, that inner voice, that is part for them of making sense of the world through that kind of conversation with with themselves in their head is that is that a accurate yeah yeah yes um i mean it touches on a number of really interesting phenomena so one function of the inner voice that i describe as magical in the book not in a supernatural sense but mm -hmm. in a more awe-inspiring sense is the inner voice's capacity to help us make sense of the world and make sense of who we are so when we experience adversity, we often reflexively try to understand what we're going through. Why did this happen to me? Why did I experience that? And the way we make sense of the world is by creating a story, a narrative. And we use the inner voice to help us create that narrative. Um, children often engage in elaborate um, simulations, pretend play, imaginary friends to engage in those meaning-making activities. It's part of the way that they learn how to do this which we often then do silently in our own minds. And so that's another, another thing that our inner voice does for us. You can think of the inner voice as a kind of 
Swiss Army Knife of the Mind. It's a multi-purpose tool that lets us do many, many essential things. I tell the story in the book of a woman named Joe Baldy-Taylor who, who really has a powerful um, narrative, which is she was someone, um, she was a neuroanatomist working at Harvard who um, was overcome with chatter. She worried and ruminated about things a lot, like, like a lot of us do, mm. um, who are, you know, um, working in high, high demanding positions, uh, extremely demanding positions. And so she used to think to herself, I wish I could just shut this inner voice up, just get rid of it, silence it. I want quiet. I'd love to just be always in the moment. Um, she tragically got her wish one day in the form of experiencing a massive stroke that was located um, in, the, in the left hemisphere of her brain. So a blood vessel had popped right around the parts of her brain that were involved in producing speech. So as a result, she lost the ability to speak not only to other people, but also to speak to herself, which is really a mind blower to contemplate. Um, like I, I, I still, I mentioned this in the book, um, I don't know what that would be like. What would it no. be like to not be able to rehearse a phone number or, or motivate yourself when you're exercising in the gym or create a verbal story to make sense of your world? Like I, 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 I can't contemplate that. I don't think we realize how, how many times we use our inner voice. That's right. During the day, do you? Mm. But this, this particular story has a kind of really interesting mm. outcome, doesn't it? Well, the, so I think you're right, we take it for granted and, and, and the outcome that she experienced really highlights that because initially she described the experience of losing her inner voice as euphoric because all the worries and ruminations left her. But as the hours and days went on, she described the experience as tremendously disruptive mm -hmm. because although the rumination and worry had left her, so did her ability to do basic things like simulate and plan and um, tell stories, create narratives, mm -hmm. hold information active in her heads. And so her experience really highlights why the challenge that I think we all face as human beings and as educators, mentors, and coaches, and loved ones to others is to figure out how we can not silence this chatter when the inner voice morphs into that, but undo the chatter to free the inner voice up to do the wonderful things that it is capable of doing. And, and this is the, the thing when you were just talking there that the inner voice is should be um, the, your kind of partner in the learning journey. And I, I mean, learning in the, the wider sense, not just learning in school, but learning about life, learning about yourself, learning about other people, how to navigate um, the world. And there's actually quite a few things, quite a few really practical, straightforward things that everybody, but especially when we're thinking about teachers, teaching children in schools, post-COVID, who we know are more anxious, who we know are less resilient, more concerned about um, their place in the world. There are some really practical things that we can teach, explicitly teach people to do to harness the power of the inner voice. Uh, could you give us an idea of what some of those things are? Absolutely. Um, you know, this is the the essence of what I have spent my life researching in the lab. What are the tools that exist to help people manage these kinds of chatter experiences? And the good news is there are lots of tools that are out there. Um, when I say tools, I'm not talking about 
tricks based on personal anecdotal experiences. I'm talking about science-based tools that have been evaluated in the laboratory, have evidence to support them. Um, and in most cases, I'm talking about relatively easy things to do, easy tools to try. Lots of complicated science has gone into the identification of these tools, many people's careers, but the take-homes are, are easy, which I think is good because yes. one of the things we know about kids and people more generally, the easier it is to do something, the more likely we are to do it. This is why one of the reasons why I think um, people are so much more likely to take a pill to manage their distress rather than go yeah. see counseling. So um, in the book, I cover close to 30 different tools. I'm obviously not going to rattle them off here. I have to speak close to 6,000 words a minute to do that <laughs> in the time we have. But let me just, let me give folks who are listening, just like a fr the framework that I use to think about where we can find these tools. And then I'll give you a couple of examples within that framework. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds okay. great. So I like to divide the world of tools into three categories or buckets. There are things you could do on your, tools you can use on your own, ways of changing the way you're thinking or behaving that can influence your chatter. Then there are what I call people tools, ways of interacting with other individuals in very specific ways that can influence the conversations we have with ourselves for better or for worse. And then there are environmental tools, which are tools located in our physical surroundings, which have the capacity to change how we talk to ourselves from the outside in, yeah. right? just by changing the way we interact with the physical world. So if we start with things you could do on your own, a lot of these tools involve getting some mental distance from what you're going through, being able to step back and, and look at the circumstance more objectively. One of the things that happens when we experience chatter is we tend to zoom in on the problem. All we can do is think about this one issue. It's playing over and over in our head and it's, it's tuning everything else out in the world. We're not hearing other voices, seeing other solutions. What we've learned is when that happened, the ability to step back and look at that bigger picture can be really helpful. And what's really neat is that there are lots and lots of ways that people can step back. There's no single way to do it. One thing you can do is something we call linguistic distancing. Try to work through your problem and give yourself advice like you were talking to another person, like you were talking to a friend. One of the things we know about people, we're much better at giving advice to others than we are giving advice to ourselves, right? I'm sure you've experienced yeah. this before. Yeah. Yeah. I've yet to experience an audience where every hand doesn't go up when I ask them, have you been in a situation where you can advise someone else but not yourself? It is really, really a very common experience. Here's how you can play off of that phenomenon to your advantage. Use your name or the second person pronoun you to try to work through a problem. All right, Ethan, how are you gonna manage this situation? Here's why that tool, we call it linguistic distancing, can be effective. Most of the time that we use names and words like you, we use those parts of speech when we think about and refer to other people. So the links between using names and second person pronouns and thinking about others is really tight in your mind. So when you use those parts of speech to think about your own problems, that's essentially turning on the mental machinery for giving advice to others. It makes it much easier for us to, to wisely deliberate about our problems. That's one tool you can use. Another um, distancing tool is something we call mental time travel. When you are immersed in chatter, it is all consuming, it is aversive, it feels like it is never going to end. 
One of the things we learn relatively quickly in our lives, though, is that we're constantly experiencing big emotions, but most of them do eventually fade with time. The rejections we experience from unrequited love, the grief we experience over the loss of loved ones, the anxiety we experience before big events, all of those events, those experiences usually fade. Reminding yourself of that fact in the moment can be really, really powerful. And the way to do it is simple. Think about how are you gonna feel about this thing you're experiencing chatter about tomorrow, next week, five years from now, 10 years from now, or if you really have to go there, when you're dead, right? That's like the <laughs> ultimate perspective broader. How are you gonna feel about this problem when you're on your death, right? Like, so what you're doing there is you're broadening your perspective. You're highlighting the fact that what you're going through right now, it's temporary, it will eventually pass. And that does something powerful for a chatter prone mind. It gives it hope, which um, helps us move on. I, I think the, um... When we're thinking about children, particularly, I think that first set of um, strategies, the using the um, second person singular, you, but also you can use the second person plural, former English teacher, this is where I'm sure. thinking about it, the, you know, the, the universal you. Uh, yeah. when you. When you walk into a room, you invariably feel nervous. You know, it's that idea of we all feel this. That's a really well, nice way yeah. of doing it, isn't it? That's, that's another variant. We've actually studied that in the lab. and what that universal you does for us is two things. It gives us the distance because you is a word we used to think about others, mm -hmm. but it also does, it normalizes our experience and yeah. it makes it clear that what we're going through as awful as it is, is something that lots of people go through. Yeah. And, and we don't like to be alone human beings. We like to have that yeah. experience of not being isolated. Um, if you, if you read a newspaper article of uh, like interviews of athletes or celebrities after they're talking about a bad experience or faux pas, you will inevitably see them shift from talking about their experience in the first person to using the universal you. This is actually one of the ways that people use language to make meaning out of their experience, right? Yeah. It's, it's saying, it's not about me. This is how the universe works. Yeah. So, um, so those are two distancing tools. There are probably half a dozen more that are in the book. Um, can, I, can I ask you about yeah. particular ones? Because obviously reading yeah, sure. it from a, a teacher's perspective, we actually, and I, we're going to share this on our um, show notes as well. You've written this thing called the Chatter Toolbox, which is um, sort of like the, some key strategies, which are really good. And there are some in there that we felt were really useful for teachers supporting children. And there was, you know, the, the idea of the you, that kind of process, but there was, there was something else that I know I experienced. We, Jane and I just had COVID and it wasn't very nice. It made us feel awful. But one of the first things that I always do after I've um, had an illness is I go downstairs and I clean my kitchen. Even yes. if I'm struggling to do it, even if I feel ill doing it, it I know it always makes me feel better afterwards. And I actually hate cleaning, but that that is a really, um, really useful tool that you talk about in your book as well, isn't it? Yeah. So, so you and I are, are kindred spirits here because, um, you know, my office looks pretty neat, but that's because I knew the camera would be on if I turn it here. Like, you know, you could, yeah, you could okay. see, yeah. you that's could see the mess. I really right? like my desk as well. So, so I, I, I'm a big fan of cleanliness, but in terms of order, like usually it's 
You yeah. know, the clothes are all over. It drives my wife crazy. There's a trail from the shower to the closet to my office downstairs. But like you, when I am experiencing chatter, when I'm stressed, um, I, I, I organize, I put things away. I clean up my office, make it nice and tidy. And when I'm done doing that, I go to my kitchen and I clean up the kitchen. I scrub down the, the counters, wash the dishes. Sometimes I'll even clean my kid's room oh my if gosh, I don't have yes. my fix. Can you believe it? And believe me, that is <laughs> yeah. a challenge. So I didn't actually understand why I was doing this. I just did it. Um, it made me feel good until I, I got into this research and was writing this book. Um, here's how this works. When we are experiencing chatter, we feel like we don't have control, right? Our minds, our thoughts and feelings are taken over. We don't feel good. We don't like that because as human beings, we crave certainty and control. And by creating order around us, by tidying up and cleaning, that helps compensate for the lack of order we feel in our mind because we're exerting order around us. This is also why a lot of people resort to performing rituals um, when they're experiencing chatter. Rituals often get a bad rap in popular culture. We tend to equate them with um, disorders like various anxiety disorders. In fact, rituals are an ancient chatter fighting tool that have been with us for um, millennia. I mean, you think about when someone dies, most of our cultures give us a set of practices to engage in, most religions, yeah. for what to do. So you don't have to think about it. Here's exactly what you should do. The individual steps involved in those rituals often don't make much sense. So I'm Jewish. When someone in my family dies, I have to dress in black and sit on a short stool and let my hair grow. Like, yeah. why? What are these things? It doesn't matter. Like in Hinduism, when someone dies, you dress in white. You shave your head. You do the opposite of what you used to. The point here is you're engaging in a rigid sequence of behaviors that are under your control and that have meaning. That helps us feel more in control. And I think that, uh, I mean, it's actually uh, now a phrase in, in my house, certainly, conversatory control. I need to do this. Okay, let me do this. And it's, it's having that understanding of how uh, your inner voice works what helps soothe the inner voice so that it doesn't uh, hijack um, your actions in the world. I think those are really important things for um, teachers to understand so that they can support children to master them. And I think that that's the key, isn't it, to thinking about how can we help everybody in the world get better at navigating life and the inner voice is part of that, isn't it? Well, I think there are three things we can do for ourselves and more importantly for our students or children. And this is the invitation I like to offer people um, okay. whenever I talk to them about this stuff. Number one, I think we need to normalize the experience of chatter. We don't always talk about our inner worlds. And as a result, they are a source, they're a giant mystery for lots and lots of people out there, especially young students who haven't taken classes in psychology or started reading about this material. So what I like to tell people when they tell me, hey, yeah, I experience chatter sometimes is, yeah, I say, congratulations, welcome to the human condition, my friend, you are not alone. So we need to normalize this. There are instances in which chatter can morph into more serious conditions, anxiety, clinical versions of anxiety, depression, but those are rare. They, they're happening with more frequency, but they remain rare. Most of us do experience run-of-the-mill, everyday chatter. It's part of being human. Let's normalize that for our kids. That's number two. Let's 
let's motivate them and give them some hope and explain to them that you are not the, you are not um, the victim of your chatter. Yeah. There are things you can actually do. A lot of people don't realize that they can manage their emotions. There's one study I came across recently. They asked students at school, it was a large study, um, can you control your emotions? And something like 40% said they could not. Humans can't control their emotions. That is not true. We may not be able to control the emotions that just pop up into our awareness, we can't, I can't prevent if someone cuts me off in the road when I'm driving and I experience a, an anger reaction, but I can control how I manage that response. Yeah. There are lots of things I do. I think we need to clarify that for our kids. And then finally, we have to share these tools. Yeah. There's no magic pill. There's no single tool that works for all people in all situations. If you hear about such tools, I would urge you to question the source because I've been doing research in this space for a long time. It doesn't exist. I don't think that is a negative. I think that makes a great deal of sense given how complex human beings are. We are all unique in the way we make sense of this world. And as a result, there are unique solutions that we could bring to bear to deal with the situation, the, the problems we're, we're experiencing. But we've got lots of things we can do. So start sharing the tools and encouraging them to try them out. And I think this is this is why we wanted to talk to you, because I think that um, there are lots and lots of children out there in schools. And we're talking, you know, as young as three when they join school here in Wales or in the UK that are experiencing um, an inability to get control over what they're hearing inside inside themselves, their inner voice. But there are, as you say, ways in which you can manage your reaction to the emotions that you feel. And this is just crucial information. If we want children to be successful, if we want children to um, be able to experience education and be in charge of that experience, it is about harnessing your inner voice. And I think that is a, a crucial, crucial message that you've brought to the world in your book. And we should at this point say that if you want to buy your book, Chatter by Professor Ethan Cross, where's the best place to go to get this book, Ethan? You should be able to find it wherever books are sold, uh, Amazon, okay. local bookstores, Barnes and Fantastic. Nobles, and the, we'll the UK we'll equivalents, we'll, we'll put a link Waterstones. Sure we will, please. and um, I actually had a, a copy on Audible as well, so you, can, you don't even have to sit down to read it, you can listen to it in your car, which I know a lot of people, a lot of teachers do on their way to work and so on, and it is, it's a really fantastic read, it's got some uh, really fascinating examples in there we've mentioned a few today but it's well worth buying um, we'd like to say thank you so much for joining our podcast it's a really fantastic subject and a, a fascinating subject to uh, think about so uh, Ethan thank you very much for joining us thank you well thanks so much for having me thanks so much for helping spread the science and um, I hope we can connect again yeah we will be spreading the science thank you Well, that was fascinating, wasn't it, Jane? Well, I've had lots of thoughts going around my mind, Finn, because you know what I'm like, I'm usually quite quiet because I'm listening. He yeah. was talking about so many interesting things. Yeah. And everything he was saying, I was thinking, yeah, I do that. Yeah. Yeah, I do that. Yeah. That, that's what's really interesting about his book um, when you read it is that he, he there are lots of stories in his book and the stories are invariably either where something has gone wrong or like the story he was talking about where the uh, woman lost her inner voice. And I know that you were a bit freaked out by that, weren't you? Like, 
in my head I can't even imagine begin to imagine yeah. what that must feel like not to have that voice in your head yeah because I talk to my inner voice all the time yeah well we've talked about this many times is how we we think yeah. in words yeah. and if you don't have the words how can you think which is one argument for making sure that children have very broad vocabularies mm. because if you're having an emotion and you can only describe that emotion as angry but actually mm. it's sad or it's maybe depressed or it's maybe it's you know um disappointed but you don't have any of those words to describe it then it it changes the way you behave if you're only able to think in a particular way and I think the one thing that really struck me is that um the inner voice has so much power it has the power to actually completely hijack you completely hijack your behavior and the actual the opening of Ethan's book is talking about um, how he, you know, he has gained quite a bit of notoriety for mm. what he's doing. And he'd done a, a public uh, speaking event and he'd um, received a, a, th- a threatening letter through the post. And that obviously, as it would do with most people, mm. really freaked him out. And he uh, went home and he found himself um, sitting downstairs whilst his family was asleep upstairs with a baseball bat, you know, mm. protecting them. And he was during that that time he it was going round and he said what if this what if that and all this kind and he was completely unable to to sleep do anything else can't break that cycle can you absolutely Mm. and I think this is this is what teachers need to have tools to help them with is when the inner voice goes wrong what can you do about it because it, and, and we're talking about pupils here, aren't we? Yes. It's how can we support pupils yes. when they're in a voice. But the one thing that when, when we stopped recording, we started talking about it, is that, you know, how much of an awareness do people actually have yeah. of their inner voice? Because, you know, we all think, we all, you know, as, as we're talking, I suspect mm. people are thinking and using their mm. inner voices as we're talking. But how many, how many years is it, was it until... Mm. I actually realized that that's what it was it's my inner voice yeah it's me talking to myself yeah but not reality but not reality yeah I, something that um that I have used more recently is this, okay I'm, I'm just going to share this because this it just makes more sense um I've had a very difficult time personally mm. recently because um, my mum has dementia there's also family issues going on as well for me and um which has meant that it's been very difficult to navigate that process um and I've had lots of inner thoughts about that and some of these inner thoughts are not particularly um positive mm. or they're you know they're they're very difficult inner thoughts but until you recognize that these inner thoughts sometimes are completely irrational yeah. you know it, it's kind of like that oh I'll never be any good at this or oh I'll never get through this piece of work or oh, I'm never going to survive this 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 process and it, it's something that I've done is a catch challenge change and just having that tool has enabled me to cope with what has been a very very difficult period in my life it's just catching something and saying that that thing that you just said to yourself is that a rational belief or is that an irrational belief so you might do let's give an, an example 
you might somebody who maybe um they're i don't know um that they want to train for a marathon i always use marathons it just comes naturally to me they want to train for a marathon they go out for their first few runs and they it, it feels awful and they say oh i'm never going to be able to do this i'm just incapable of running now that is an irrational belief we as human beings are all capable of running it might take you particular support it might mean that you have to lose a bit of weight or that you might need the right shoes or you might you might need to see a doctor first or i don't know you know any manner of things but being incapable of running human beings are designed for running so that is an irrational belief so challenging that saying that's an irrational belief and saying the change is um i'm finding running difficult right now i might need some support that's a much more positive way of thing, seeing things and i think that when you think about your inner voice, your inner voice, as uh, Ethan was saying, is, is telling you things at a rate of knots that might not be true. And it can affect your executive functioning. Now, your executive functioning controls how you interact with what people are saying to you, whether you hear them or not, whether you're planning well, whether you stay on task, whether you're um, seeing a way through an issue. I mean, it's all of these things. It's kind of the planning, mm. organizing, focusing, attention part. It's like your it's, it's all of the all the things you would use to describe those children who go off task, who yeah. don't engage, who maybe misbehave. Your your inner voice is actually is, is almost like your mental PA. Hmm. It, it's it's the person inside hmm. your head who's like that that office manager who's running around saying right this is the thing that you need to pay attention um, to now yeah don't worry about what the teacher is saying it's actually you need to pay attention to you know your friend who, who said something nasty to you just before and it is imagining that person in your head being in charge of where your attention is how quickly you can work through things what actions mm. you take how you respond to others i mean when things go wrong but also your inner voice telling yourself off as mine does quite often <laughs> i'll say oh jane what on earth are you doing yeah you know yeah. and again we were talking about you know using advice to you, others yeah. yeah trying to distance yourself and and I, and that will be my self-check to say yeah jane what are you doing don't be so silly and carry but, on but also i mean <clears throat> Another way of viewing that, if we were going to reframe that, your inner voice can actually be the most critical yeah. um, of you as a person. Because, uh, I mean, my son, my other son, not the one who um, used to have the two. <laughs> I, I won't tell him that I said that on the podcast. He'd hate me. But um, my other son, um, he he is incredibly critical of himself. He's very, very perfectionist. Yeah. I am, too. And you say the kinds of things to yourself that you would never dream no. of saying yeah. to anybody no. else. You don't say them out. In a way, it's your safe, your safe space, isn't it? To say those things. Yes, but those things can be incredibly yeah. damaging. Yeah. And, you know, if, we're, if we are being really rude and horrible and critical and, and focusing on something to the detriment of everything else, it can lead to problems like, and I'm... I'm quoting this from um you know what the executive functioning actually says is you can forget what you've heard or what you've said mm -hmm. so you know the teacher's talking and you're not listening because you're ruminating over something you can get overly emotional or fixate on things mm -hmm. so this is when children blow up in class about something because they're emotional because their inner voice is taking charge um, they've trouble switching to one thing or another you know they're, they're unable to 
make the transition between tasks. They've got trouble managing their time. I mean, that's a massive thing. You know, if we're thinking about self-study, independent learning, trouble following through on a course of action without being distracted. Oh, my goodness me. And I think we're also not just talking about children with those. I'm sure we've got colleagues that that are in that. Ourselves. Yeah. 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 So, you know, our inner voice really can paralyze us or help us through stress and trauma to contentment and success. So, you know, your inner voice, really what we should be asking is why aren't we Mm. explicitly teaching strategies to manage um, the process of talking to yourself? And I think that, you know, one of the things that we um, we would like to do and we we hope we're going to be able to do is to put together um, some strategies and tools beyond those that um that ethan has uh, yeah. shared with us on the podcast to actually help teachers to talk about this explicitly because this needs to be and it probably is for a lot of teachers they probably do this without even realizing they're doing it is you know just be kind to yourself mm-hmm. you know so what would what advice would you give you those are the kinds of things you kind of say to the children in your class as a form tutor or what have you but let let's be explicit about this let's have a curriculum on it it's it's really has got so much but it, it links really nicely as well with all the work around metacognition yeah and you know and thinking about thinking yeah and i think there are so many of these tools but like ethan said you find the tools that suit you yes but we need to look at all of the tools in the toolbox to yes. find those ones yes but for me it's that the first part of of this whole discussion that we've had was about being aware yeah about what is going on in my head yes and I think sometimes did I say that out loud or is it still in my head <laughs> it's true it's true and um if we had um this this range of evidence-informed yeah. tools and I think that's the thing about Ethan's work that really is fascinating is that this is not mindfulness for the whole school no this is not um you know yoga or deep breathing or anything for the whole school we're talking about providing um, children with research informed strategies that that we know have worked for some people Mm -hmm. in some contexts that may also work for them so that they can practice them and use them and find the one that is most appropriate for their context for their their approach and I think Mm -hmm. that that that's the key is we want to inform teachers on what is available in in a format that actually they can use they can do yeah. something with and one of the first things you can do is to download um ethan cross's free chatter toolbox because that's where you know the starting point is there's a lot in there but there's i think there's there's quite a bit more work that can be done to turn this into something workable for teachers to yeah. use in classroom uh, with different age groups yeah it's it's knowing what to do isn't it yeah because how, how many times have we been talking about supporting schools to develop resilience yeah class and it's well we teach resilience do you really teach resilience yeah yeah well this is this is a strategy to increase the resilience of children and to help them to bounce back from things that are difficult yeah particularly now post well i don't think it's post-covid anymore we're back in the middle of it as we're recording this but i think it's it's something that we need to keep coming back to um and i know from when this podcast goes out from you know at the beginning of the autumn term i think we will come back to this yes we will absolutely come back to this so it's been uh, it was a real pleasure to talk to um, ethan hopefully we'll get to talk to him again but if you haven't already um, had a look at his book do because it's well worth the read yeah. and Take we'll care. speak to you soon bye